that your anointing will rest upon me, Lord, that we will be able to help others uh, through your precious word to be stronger in the things of God, to accomplish the mission, the, the, the life that you've written for them, and to help others to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Second Kings. Second Kings. We're going to be in Second Kings today, the sixth chapter of Second Kings, starting at the first verse, and we'll go all the way through the seventh verse. Second Kings, chapter six, and. I just want to lay a little foundation here. Second Kings is an amazing book of the Bible. I love it. It's, um, it's about the, the life and exploits of Elisha. Not Elijah. Elijah, in the beginning of this chapter, is taken up to heaven. And in a whirlwind. And remember, Elisha was with him. And what did he ask of him? His anointing times two, right? He wanted a double portion. And he got it because he told him, if, you're, if you see me when I go, you'll get it. And so he wouldn't leave him. And, and he's, he saw the Lord take him up. And he's one of the two men in the Bible that, have not, that did not die. And, uh, and so, nevertheless... It's an amazing book and it begins to lay out uh, all of his exploits uh, doing as God instructs him and how God uses him. And he did get a double portion of that beautiful anointing. And, and I just want to tell you how, how it takes off. He, he, sees, he sees his uh, mentor go up to heaven. He receives the double portion of the anointing and then he uh, he begins to he 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 he. You remember the story of the widow's oil, where he said, "Get get all the jars you can," and they and as many as she brought were filled up. Right? She sold some and kept some, so so, so her and her son would not die. And then he um, he raises the uh, the Shunammite woman's uh, dead son back to life. Uh, he uh, there's a poisonous. Uh, food that, uh, that they're eating and he heals that and makes it fine. He heals Naaman, a great general uh, uh, who had leprosy. He heals, he heals him of that or he instructs him on how to do it and the Lord does it. And uh, so anyway, he's, he's involved in a lot of great exploits. And right after this story that I'm about to read, is when he goes and he takes on basically an entire army. When he walks out and, the, and his servant says, we're surrounded by a great army. And he says, oh, that's okay. Those who are for us are more than those against us, right? And he leads this enemy army into, uh, into the, the city where they are basically arrested, fed, and released. <laughs> anyway, he's, he's a great prophet is my point. And he does mighty exploits. And right in the midst of all that, there's a little story that seems so insignificant. And it's like, I don't even know why that's there in the midst of all this great exploits. 
But just because it seems so insignificant, I promise you there's nothing insignificant in the Bible. Just like they say, you know, just just for for means of finding things in the Bible, they say the major prophets and the minor prophets, you know, because the major prophets are are, are, are very long books of the Bible, like Jeremiah and, and Isaiah and all that. And then you have the minor prophets, they call them, which are, are very just one or two pages. But there, there's nothing minor about them. You see what I'm saying? Because it's the Word of God. But anyway, I want to examine this little story with you today. It's an amazing and significant thing for every believer to understand this. It's something that if, if you're not going through now, you have or will. And, and that's not a prophetic word. That's just saying, that's, that's just speaking from experience and from others' experience. And it's probably one of the most important things we can learn and get a hold of and have an understanding of. And the fact that this story seems so small and insignificant is the very reason to really search it out and find out what's there because I promise you it's a precious treasure hidden there for you from God. Let me read it. Starting at the first verse of 2 Kings chapter 6. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. So Elisha had a, a, a group, a team, a troop, if you would, <coughs> of, of students, of young prophetic ministers that were, he was raising up under him. Okay? And they lived with him. And that's where they lived and were taught and everything like that. So... Yeah. Is it 2 Kings 6? 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at the first verse. Okay. And so they tell him that the place where they, they live is too small. Let us go, verse 2, let us go to the Jordan and each of us get there a log and let us make a place for us to dwell there. Let's all go down. We're all going to pitch in. We're going to cut down the trees and build a, a place there, a bigger place. And he answered, go. Then one of them said, be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I'll go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. Now listen, verse five. But as one was felling a log, felling means cutting down. Fell a tree is to cut it down. As one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. Simple little story, isn't it? Kind of neat, but it's like, <laughs> what's that? You know, 
What's that about? Let's talk about it a little bit. The Christian life or the Christian person is similar to an axe. The handle of an axe is made of of wood, right? The same substance that the axe is created to cut. But the handle is unproductive by itself, isn't it? It can't cut wood without the sharpened axe head being attached to the wood handle. That's what makes the axe. We're like that axe handle. We can't fell the problems of our life without the axe head. We aren't strong enough. The anointing of God is the axe head. Hello. Its power cuts through the difficulties of our lives. But it's the relationship that makes it work. Do you see that? Look at the simplicity of the axe. It's just two parts. It's the relationship though. The combination of the two that makes it work. It's not God's sovereignty. That determines what happens. In every detail of our life is it? We've dispelled. We've killed that sacred cow I hope. I know there are parts of the body of Christ. That teaches whatever God intends. That's what's happening so. You know, why even try? Might as well just sit on your couch and eat Doritos all day. If everything God intends is going to come to pass. God is the Alpha and Omega. He is omnipotent. He is the strongest. He is everything. That He is everything good and everything powerful. But the way He has set things up is that He requires for us to have a part to play In our lives, doesn't he? We have a choice to make. We have a free will. But we're not strong enough to take care of things on our own. And God's sovereignty isn't going to do it without us. And it's certainly not our ability in and of itself that accomplishes our goals. We know that. It requires God's ability combined with our ability to defeat the devil. Amen. What attaches the axe head? It's interesting. The axe head is attached by inserting the stick through a hole in the iron axe head. Then you have to split the head of the wood after you put it through there at the top you have to put a split in it and insert a wedge to apply pressure to the head to hold it in place does that make sense in a similar fashion we have to make a distinct split in our minds and our hearts between our confidence in God's ability and our own 
I hope you're understanding this today. And the wider and clearer that divide, the more secure the axe head is. There are so many people that don't understand this concept. It's not a concept, it's a truth. And they struggle with it. And because of that, they struggle with life. And what happens is they get into works because they just, they hear all this talk about faith and this, and then they go, yeah, but you know, I'm just being real basically. And I know you gotta, you gotta do stuff. You gotta do something. You can't just, I I understand that. And if they would understand this simple teaching, what I just said to you guys, if you would really get it, you would understand that it's a relationship. The separation between a confidence in God working in our life and His power and ability and our own and how they have to work together is the key to great success in the Christian life. Stay where you're at. I'm going to go over to 2 Corinthians real quick and just read something that Paul wrote you're probably familiar with. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul, he complained about a thorn in his side. Do you remember that? And without going into it in detail, because we're talking about something else today, I'm just going to tell you, it's a fact that that was not a physical ailment that he had. It was not a literal thorn. It was a demonic oppression coming against. It was assigned to... Hinder Paul in his work for God. And it kept coming up in place after place. And he kept praying for God to take it away. And here's what God told him. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 8. About this. That it should leave me. But he said to me. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore... I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of God may rest upon me. You see that? It's only in humility that God is working with us. And when our pride rises up, the anointing of God steps away so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Praise be to God. Now listen. This is a condition of many, many Christians. So we want to talk about it in more depth. This little story. So significant right there in 2 Kings. Because there's a process to this condition. The axe head, if you've ever used an axe, it doesn't generally just fly off all at once without notice. It begins to slip and give warning signs. You can tell when it gets loose. I've never, I've had a lot of them fall off. And it's just because I was so stubborn that when I noticed it start to wag and, and wiggle a little bit and move around, I didn't stop and fix it. And because of that, 
it ends up flying off. And careful of where it lands, you know. But it always gives you a warning sign. In the same way, the Lord gives us signs. The power of God doesn't just leave us all at once. There's going to be emotional signs in a person's life. I see it all the time. And I experience it myself from time to time. Sometimes greater in measure than others. But at least I know the signs now. And I learn to jump quickly back into the light. Remember how we ministered last week about walking in the light. And when we notice that we have gotten off into the darkness. To get back quickly into the light. To repent and get back into the light. Well... I notice this in people's lives all the time and I just begin to pray for them. Sometimes they're so far outside of the power of God that I can't even mention it to them at the time because I can see or the Lord just tells me, don't, it won't be effective. You're just going to be pushing a hot button right now. Pray for them until I give you a window or door of opportunity to speak into their lives where they, when they will receive from you. If it's, if it's you personally or if you see these signs in someone else, it's those, it's, they're emotional signs. There are flare-ups. There are things that are ungodly and more and more frustration in their lives and anger and things like that. And, and it just basically just says that they need to spend more time alone with God. In the Word, praying. Just fellowshipping with God. Remember, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship. If we're cutting wood with an axe and that axe head comes off, all the wood cutting comes to a halt, doesn't it? That's right. You're done cutting wood for right now. I mean, you'd be foolish to just continue just beating that axe handle against that tree. (laughs) That'd be foolish, wouldn't it? You wouldn't get anywhere and it would just leave you worn out and frustrated. And that's how it is without God's power working in our lives. This young man in the story, he humbled himself and he asked for help. I'm sure he was embarrassed because like I said, it doesn't just fly off all at once. It gave him some signals, some signs, but he kept on chopping. Maybe he thought he'd get finished with that tree. And it flew off. And the problem was, it was borrowed. And he was responsible for it. And so he was embarrassed and scared. But you know, in the same way, we're responsible for the anointing of God. The power of God to do the things that are the will of God for our lives, that he's placed in our care. It's, it doesn't belong to us, does it? It's God's gift to us. We're responsible for that. Jesus talks about that in the parable of, of the, the talents, and the gifts, how the one man had buried it in the sand and so forth. And you know, if you remember that, ta- that, that story, you remember... You remember what the reward was for the one who had multiplied the talents given to him? More work. (laughs) Don't think that it's ever going to be over with God and we're going to sit on a cloud and play a harp. He's got lots of things, lots of things for us to do. Who knows 
what God has in store. He says we can't even fathom. There may be entire worlds and universe that we put in charge of. The Bible doesn't say that, but who knows? I know that we'll judge angels one day. And there's lots for us to do. This is just like a class as far as I'm concerned. Eternal life with God, knowing him and being with him is something to really look forward to. But one of the most important things I think a Christian can do is to examine themselves to see whether they be in the faith. That's what the Bible calls us to do. Where are we at? Have we noticed our axe head slipping? Have we noticed the power of God, the presence of God in our life dissipating? Or is it gone? Has it been lost? Will we humble ourselves and get the help that we need? Because we're useless without it. And because we're useless without it, shouldn't we do whatever it takes to get it back? Amen. Which brings up my third point. That, that young man, he recognized that he was in a bad place. That he was completely useless without the axe head. And he needed help to retrieve it. Many of us have lost the power of God in our lives or we have been through that or we will go through that. And so it's good to be prepared to have an understanding and a, and a knowledge of how to deal with the things in the Christian life. And this is one of the most fundamental things, but also holds so much gravity and weight and importance. Because so many people have lost the power of God in their lives and they really need help retrieving it. And that's the acronym for this church is help to heal, empower, love and prosper. And so that's not just for me to do. That's for you guys to do. The pastor is to to prepare the saints for the work of the ministry. And I just I love I love watching my wife. I remember where. We were 10 years ago, and then now I watch her, I listen to her sometimes, and I won't even talk for a long time, and she just ministers and ministers to me. She'll be talking about somebody. She just takes to everybody, especially younger uh, girls in her life that she may work with or whatever, and she just takes them under her wing, and next thing you know, she's just giving them the most godly wisdom and advice, and I just love hearing it, because what is, what's happened is the seed of the word has taken root in her, and now it's grown up, and it's bearing fruit in her life, and she's helping others. Amen. Amen. <laughs> when this young man humbled himself and asked for help, Notice this, the first thing that the man of God said is, where did you lose it? Where did you lose it? Everyone has a particular place in life where they walked away from the power of God. And to get it back, you have to go back there to that place. With some, it might have been a dramatic turn from the Lord. So it's easy to detect or remember when and where. 
With others, it might have been more gradual. But always, the first step to recovery is to go back to the place where you lost it. It might be a place where you allowed bitterness and unforgiveness to come into your heart. We've talked a lot about that two weeks ago. I think that was the message I talked about uh, from Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant, which Jesus told, which basically shows the Christian that unforgiveness is not an option for us. And if it's not an option for us, that means we really need to learn to deal with it and how to how to deal with it and to deal with it quickly. But still, if you look around all of the world and most of the body of Christ, you're going to find a large degree of people in a prison of their own making because they've allowed bitterness or unforgiveness to come in to their lives and it's hindering their relationship with God and their effectiveness as Christians. Ephesians 4.32 tells us to be kind and tender-hearted and to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Christ is always the example When you need to know what I should do, what you should do, always look at what did Jesus do. That's your example. You're becoming more and more like him every day of your life as you allow him to operate and to live through you, which is his his greatest desire. Amen. It might be a place where you think God has failed you. And you never reconciled that with God. There are a lot of people that have that hurt. And a lot of times it's compartmentalized and tucked away and hidden. And even they don't realize that they're holding unforgiveness against God for something. This is something I I don't want to dig too deep into because it's a whole week we could go on about this the different areas of people's lives where they're they're literally angry at god for things that that he the, how he created them who he created them their sex their color their their lot in life where they were born their parents everything and really the things that they are angry about they're angry with god about and sometimes they don't even recognize that but that's something that has to be dealt with. When we blame God for things, the truth is, Hebrews 13, 5, 13, 5 tells us that God will never leave us or forsake us. Amen. Amen. And that's the truth. And until we come to terms with the fact that this Bible is written by God through men and not a book written by men about God, then we're never going to surrender our lives to the truths found in this Bible. And we will continue to rip pages out of it to fit the things that we believe our itching ears want to hear. And that's what you see more and more and more of in the, in the world and, and even in the, what's pretending to be portions of the body of Christ. The church is strong, but it's not... It's not the church that you think you see on every corner. And that's the fact. There may be some of his people in each one of those, hopefully. But 
Nevertheless, he's going to be the one to sort it all out in the end. There may be a place. So first we said there may, that maybe it was a place where you allowed bitterness or unforgiveness. Maybe it was a place where you thought God did you wrong in some way and you have something you need, still need to deal with there. But maybe you just walked away from God and you stopped seeking God with your whole heart and you became occupied with other things. Now that's a very common and familiar place for the Christian to be. You remember Jeremiah 29 11, which is a familiar passage of scripture. The plans that I have for you, plans of good, not of evil to give you hope and a future to prosper you. And then it goes on to say in, in the next two verses that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And a lot of Christians have either never gotten to that place where they actually had the anointing and the power of God working in their life because they never really pressed into God and really came to know him. They said a prayer one time. They were evangelized into the kingdom of God where somebody could put it on their scorecard and then they were just turned loose back into the world. And after a little while, they were like, this is it. I guess I'm okay, or, or well, I guess it didn't work for me, and they just go back to their old ways. And actually, their condition will often be found to be way worse than it was before they ever went to that, that deal and said that prayer because they weren't discipled with the truth of God's Word. 1 John 2.16, who tells, who, who, who professes something that doesn't require the blood of Jesus Christ and the acceptance of Jesus as your Lord and Savior to get you to God is antichrist. See? Doesn't require Christ, antichrist. What are some examples? This universalism that is so common in the world today sounds so good, but they stop short of saying that Jesus is God and that it requires him that he's the only way to the Father. And we know that that is a truth that can't be undone. And why would you want it to? He's the one that came and died for you. There are lots of religions that, that profess to be Christian and they're really just cults because they stop short of calling Jesus God and, 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 and describing Jesus as something or someone who is necessary and mandatory to a relationship with God. But anyway, that wasn't my point. Therefore, referring to scripture that says that the pride of life and the deceitfulness of riches and all these things is basically the original sins. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All these things are not of God. And friendship with the world is enemy of God, you see? Mm -hmm. So, that last place where I mentioned that we may have walked away from God and we stopped seeking him with all our hearts and we let the cares and the things of this world to occupy our minds. And a lot of times we do it because we say, I don't have time because I have too much to do. I have to earn a living. I have to make our way. If I don't do this, nobody's going to do it. And in a sense, Many of those things are true. This is one of the hardest things that I have with getting through to people's minds, especially to men in this world, because they feel so compelled and so responsible to make everything happen and to provide. 
But we need to know that God is the provider. And if we can go out and do those things on our own and we can get in that attitude where we just don't have time for God. And basically you're saying, I'm a little mad at God because it's because of him not giving me and doing for me the things that I, that I have to go and struggle and so hard. And I have I just just leave me alone. I got to get all this done. I'm tired of fooling around. Yeah, I understand all that, but I'm just being real. I got to get out there and do it. Okay, well, you're just using that axe handle and you're beating that wooden axe handle against that tree. There's a, there's, there's a truth to the part that you have to play. But there's also a yielding, an understanding, an acknowledgement of, listen, without God, I'm nothing. That's why we give Him the first fruits of of everything, the best of everything, the first tenth of everything, the first tenth of our income, not the change that's left over if we don't, if we cover all the bills. He wants us to prove that we're living by faith and trusting Him by giving Him the first. When we have a thousand dollars and we have eleven hundred dollars worth of bills, He wants us to reduce our our, our money to nine hundred. To meet that 1100 and somehow he's going to cause it to happen. But it takes faith because in the world they're like, that's just bad math, dude. <laughs> but it's not just about money. Jesus teaches about that because it's something that we all very familiar and passionate about because we know that it's a very useful tool in this life. But it has to do with everything. Giving him the first part of our day. Giving him the best and center place in our marriage. Giving Him the first fruits, the best of everything. Just acknowledging our insufficiency apart from Him. But realizing that we have a strong axe because we have recognized and put a great divide a split and an understanding the difference in our ability apart from Him and His power working with us. And because of that, in that weakness, we are made strong. Amen. Wherever the place is for you or others that you may try to help with this, that they've Allowed or lost the axe head, lost the power of God, the anointing of God in their life. Wherever that place is, that's where they have to go to find it. If our if our offense involves a person, then we need to try and make things right if we can. If that's impossible, then we just go to Jesus. But don't just let those things be. I have a grew up in a family, and most of you are familiar with the type of situations I'm talking about, unless you just grew up in church and you have the great families that I hear about sometimes, but I've never really experienced. But... Our families would fight and brawl and all kind of craziness. And 
Then they just wouldn't speak for a while. And then when they did, they, just enough time would go by and they'd act like nothing ever happened. It's not good. <laughs> it has to be dealt with. And if it's God you're mad at and you didn't even realize it, ask Him to show you the, the, the areas of your life where you may be hindered in your prayers and in your relationship with Him. If it's bitterness or unforgiveness, even if it's at Him or at yourself. There's a poem, um, I think I was trying to share with somebody, maybe George on the phone one day or something, I can't remember it, but there's a famous Christian author and he, one of his poems talk about uh, having to forgive the person in his life that hurts the people he loves more than anyone and it's himself. And that's a real truth. It all has to be dealt with. It's going to take a miracle from God just like this axe head floating up out of the water. But to make that axe head float, what did the man of God do? If you notice that right there at the very end, when he, he said, where did it fall? And when the, when the young man showed him the place, Elisha cut off a stick and threw it in there and it made the iron float. And he said, take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. That stick is representative of the cross of Jesus Christ. There are a couple of places in the Old Testament. Remember, everything in the Old Covenant is concealed. Is, is, is all Jesus concealed. And in the New Covenant, Christ revealed. But that's what that's pointing to. Is the cross of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we have to go all the way back to the foot of the cross. There's power in the cross of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness. The ground is level at the foot of cross. The foot of the cross. There's mercy and forgiveness there. That's level ground. There's no condemnation. No judgment. There's love and peace and protection and guidance. And if you need to, if you're stuck in a place where you just don't know how to get back, maybe you've created a great chasm between you and God, that cross is the answer. Use it as a bridge. Whatever you got to do, get your axe head back. You're nothing without it. But with it, you can do all things. Amen? Amen. All right. Do you love him today? Yes. You know why? Because he loves you so much and you know it. You feel it. Amen? Amen. Because he really does. He's got great things in store. But we have to stay in position to receive from him. We have to walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have to... Maintain that relationship and the strength and integrity of that axe. Us working together with the anointing and power of God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Father, for your precious word. We thank you for the power and simplicity of this, this little message, Lord. We thank you for helping us to 
have great revelation and understanding of this message that we apply these truths in our lives and we're able to take this simple translation and share it with others in ways that will help them and help them to grow and to walk in greater victory in their relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.